Hello and welcome back to the Gritty Men Podcast. I'm John Riggs, your host. We're here to equip, encourage, and inspire you, God's men, living God's way for God's glory. Hey guys, thank you so much for coming and spending some time here at this podcast today. I hope it'll be a blessing to each and every one of you. And we're going to continue on with the topic that we began a week ago called The King's Men. This is part two of that. Now, we learned last week that there is a great difference between those men who are simply living under the king and those men who are wholeheartedly living for the king. There is a huge difference between those two groups. Those living under are all about what they receive as a citizen from the king living under his authority. The others are all about what they can do for their king and for his kingdom. So one is about receiving, the other one's about giving. And um, we know that we can't give if we haven't received. We understand that, but far too many men stop with the reception of salvation and redemption and justification, and it's like it ends there. And the reality is, guys, it begins there, and then we now are called to live our lives for the ultimate glory of God, our Lord, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're called to live this way. And so the question before each of us is, what kind of kingdom man will you be? Now, we know there were thousands and thousands of men that lived under the king of Israel in the Old Testament. And primarily, we've been looking at King David, um, the one that God had chose to replace Saul, the one that God said in his own words that I have found a man that is after my own heart and he will do all that I command. That's what God said about David. So David is now getting ready to replace King Saul. King Saul, as we learned, is pursuing David and trying to kill David um, because of his jealousy uh, over the way the people had migrated and began to love David. And, um, and just because King Saul obviously was trying to, uh, to keep David from taking the throne. So... There are two types of men that we see here. In David's kingdom, there were, there were, there were those, if you will, that, that were living to receive what they would get from being under the king and under uh, the, the rule of his kingship in the kingdom. And then there's these men that we were looking at. They're called David's mighty men, um, his mighty 30, if you will, 37, I think, total in all, with the three being these three men who were actually... Uh, seem to be head and shoulders even above the mighty 30. And then there's a few others that are listed among them uh, that are not attaining to that place, but they are still incredible men of valor, might, and men of war. Um, The reality for all of us is that we will never be a mighty man of God. This is important now. Without desire. It takes desire first. We should all be desiring this. This is a natural thing we desire as men, especially in relation to the love that we have for our king and all that he has done for us to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness, transfer us into the kingdom of the glorious son, setting us free all by his love, mercy, grace, and will. He's done all the work for us. And because we now are in this position of being in Christ, that we serve the King of kings, Lord of lords, that we know the God of all creation, that we have been adopted into the kingdom of God, and uh, we have this position and access to the Father, uh, what an incredible gift this has been given to us through Christ by the will of the Father, and we are enjoying the benefits and the blessing of living in the kingdom under the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it takes desire. It not only takes desire, but it also takes discipline. And not only discipline, but it takes love. We must love our king. It takes loyalty, service, risk, and sacrifice. These are the realities for any man that wanted to be mighty among all the men of Israel. There there were these elements that were involved um, that would be characteristic of these men. It's not like it just happened. Why is that? Because mighty men are not born, they're made. And men have to desire for that to take place in their life. Um, So we have been looking last week at David's mighty men, his mighty 30, 
Um, and they're listed, if you want to look at them, by name in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, what are the characteristics of these followers of David, these men that he called by name, memorializing them before his death in Scripture? Um, are they just mere followers of David? The, the answer to that is, guys, no. They are faithful warriors to the death. They are committed to, to the king and to the kingdom. They fight David's battles. They stand in the breach, in the forefront. In other words, when, when you would find these men in battle, they're not going to be hanging in the back. In fact, one of the things we learn about these guys is that when all the other men were retreating, these guys were standing firm and they were engaging the enemy. In other words, they took a stand when everyone else left. That is one of the characteristics of these men. Um, they stand firm when all others retreat in battle. We just said that. They love not their lives to the death. Uh, they were warring a good warfare in the service of their king. Now, their character was they were men of valor, we're told. They were ready armed. They were prepared. They were expert in war. They were famous among, among the house of their fathers and grandfathers, wholly devoted to their king and his purposes, Men who could keep rank, um, very important. They know that they are under the headship of Christ, and Christ is under the headship of the Father, and they knew their purpose, responsibility, and their ranking. They were not going to get out from underneath the headship of Christ. Now, there was one who did, and because of that, although he was the commander of the army of Israel, he was one of the nephews of David, one of the three men that we know, the two brothers, and then this man as well. He's not mentioned as being a mighty man, although he was, because he stepped out of rank, and he disobeyed David, and he killed a man David said not to kill because of the jealousy and because of revenge that he had for the brother who was slain by this individual. And so David does not list him among his mighty 30, he was among them, but because of his disobedience and his getting out of rank and out of line, uh, he suffered the consequences of that. But God's men, David's men, they knew to keep in rank. They knew where they stood and what they were to do. Um, they, um, they were wholly devoted to their king and to his purpose. Um, they were skilled with both hands. That's even mentioned in Scripture, which is very interesting because it takes discipline, time. It takes effort. It takes a lot of, 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 um, of work to become skilled with both hands. You know, we're primarily gifted with one hand. Very few people are what we call ambidextrous, that they're able to, you know, even if it's shooting a basketball, dribble the same with both hands, shoot with the same with both hands. Um, you know, we're usually dominant with one. But these men, although they were more than likely born dominant with one, they trained themselves through great effort and diligence to become proficient with both hands. And why is that important? Because you never know how you're going to need to use your different hands in battle. Let's say one of your hands is hurt or wounded um, and you're not able to use it. You need to weld your spear and your sword with your other hand. You need to be able to do it well with both hands. In the event that one of your arms is wounded or hurt in battle. You need to be able to contend uh, and fight in any situation. Some other interesting things about these guys that is mentioned in Scripture. They had faces like lions. Can you just picture these, these, these gritty men? I mean, their faces are full of whiskers. And, and I mean, they're just, they look like the face of a lion, David said. Not only um, probably in their expressions, they had a warrior mentality, and I'm sure that was expressed in battle, but their faces were, were, were masculine in that they, they, their, their faces were covered with, with hair, and their hair on their head was more than likely probably not uh, shorn. It was probably long. Um, they had understanding of the times. This is very, very important because, see, David had not yet been made king, but these men knew that God had chosen David to replace Saul. So their loyalty and all that they were now became devoted to this man that God had chosen. And so they knew the times. They knew the necessity of what they were doing and the importance of what they were doing. And they were aware of the times. They knew that King Saul's reign was coming to an end and David would soon be king. And they, they were men who were aware. 
we need to be these kinds of men as well. So they understood what was at stake and for what and why they were fighting. These men were skilled, they were brave, they were courageous, they were gritty, selfless, disciplined, loyal, obedient, unrelenting warriors. These men ran to battle, not from battle. They stood often alone or side by side, often highly outnumbered, and yet God honored their willingness against all odds, and God brought a mighty victory through these men, allowing these men to do mighty deeds and to walk in the shadow of God's glory. It's very important that you understand this because, see, only these men, these mighty men, got to experience walking in the shadow of the glory of God. And what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that God did great feats that they could not do in and of themselves. No man can weld his spear against 300 men and, and, and just single-handedly defeat them. He would be, he would be overpowered. I mean, it wouldn't take very many men with spears to overpower one man. But what happened was, is God intervened, and by the power of God, working in and around these individuals, and we read about more examples of this in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon someone like Samson, he was able to do incredible feats. They were supernatural. Um, Samson could not do these in and of himself, but he had the Holy Spirit's power upon him, and he did incredible things. These men experienced the very same thing, um, that God was doing something around them, through them, and uh, by his power that they could not do, and yet they were there, left standing, when every man was, was laying on the ground, and the dust had settled, and the swords were no longer being welded, one man was left standing, and it was only by the grace and power of God that they were, and yet they got to walk in the glory of the victory that God brought. Now listen, guys, I don't want to settle for a mediocre Christian life. I don't want to be one of these guys that has lived safe, uh, safely um, without risk all the days of my life, especially in relation to following my king. Because it takes risk to do what God calls us to do. Because oftentimes, risk and faith are synonymous in that we don't always know the outcome. We don't always know the entire cost. We, we, we don't have all of the pieces of the puzzle. So faith is required. But when we walk in faith and we watch God work, God often does things that we and of ourselves are not capable of doing, and in that, we get to be a part of God doing something in grandeur, and yet we, humanly, could not accomplish this, but we get to walk in the glory of the power of God. So can you imagine being one of these mighty men? Can you imagine having a grandfather or a father who is a mighty man of God? I mean, these guys that have these exploits of God's greatness and the grandeur and magnitude of the power of God working in and through their life. I mean, I want to sit at the feet of these guys. If these guys were available to sit down and talk, wouldn't you just like to just sit around a fire with them and listen to them tell the stories of these great exploits of victory and conquest? And you in your mind know, dude, you, you couldn't do this in and of yourself. And you know what? They wouldn't take credit uh, for what they did either, because no human being could do what they did. You know what they would do? They would say, hey guys, I got to experience the power of God working through me and around me, and I watched God do something that was supernatural, but I was there. I was walking in the glory and the grandeur of the God of all creation, routing out the enemies. I got to be there. I got to be part of that. And to listen to these men tell these stories, I don't want to be the guy that's, you know, just sitting over in his rocking chair. He's done no risk in his life. You know, he's played it safe his whole life. What kind of story does that guy have to share with you? And men, I mean, we're created for adventure, for conquest, for conquering. That's because we're created in the likeness and the image of God. And if you want to, to live a life of adventure, you just wholeheartedly serve Christ and he will do things in your life and call you to things that, that cause you to live in the full faith and trust in him. And he will do things that you cannot even, you can't even believe that were possible. He will do them. But you know who gets the glory? He gets all the glory. But think of this. You walk in the shadow of the glory of God. 
In other words, by being with God and doing these feats, you're walking in the shadow of his glory. You still, although you don't get the glory because it goes to God, you still get to be attached to the God whose glory was so revealed in this epic exploit. And that's what these, these guys did. They stood, and God saw that, and God rewarded their obedience, their steadfastness, their trust, their faith, their devotedness. And what did God do? God came alongside them, did incredible feats. And listen, guys, that's the kind of men we want to live. So many Christian men are bored. They're so bored with Christianity because it's really Western churchianity. It's got nothing to do with Christ, much of it. What they do is they slip on a jersey on game day, which is Sunday. They show up, they grab, their, they grab their burrito and their donut and their latte, and they shuffle their way into the Coliseum. And what do they do? They take a seat in the stands, and they prepare themselves for the show. And they think that this is what Christianity is. Nothing could be further from the truth. And that's not all the fault of men. That is what the church has made this Western Christianity to be about. Because they're all about selling tickets, man. It's about consumerism. It's about get a better show, get, a better, get, get better speaking, get better shows, get more lights, get more glitz. You, you know, hey, man, give the guys what they want. Give people what they want. Because you know what that does? That fills the stadium seats. And it brings in money. And it gives men the pride of, of all of these things. Now, I'm blessed to pastor a large church and have pastored some large churches, and that's only by God's grace and goodness because if you know of my credentials, my credentials are nothing. And so you know what? I walk in the glory of what God is doing in and through and around my life. I don't walk in the grandeur and the glory of my, my master's of divinity or my doctorate degree that seems to make me somewhat... Um, more abled to be able to do these things. No, what God has done in my life is nothing short of the power of God doing what only he can do, and he gets all the glory for it, guys, and yet I get to walk in the glory of God. I get to be a part of this. I don't deserve any of it. I'm not worthy of any of it, but you know what? God honors us when we walk in obedience to him. He never, ever, ever will leave you high and dry. That's not going to happen. Because that's not the character nor the nature of God. So let me, let me encourage you guys. If you're bored with Christianity, it's because you're not really serving the king. You're not living for the king. Oh, you might be a part of religious establishment. Uh, you might be part of, uh, of an activity that happens one day a week. That's not what Christianity is. And that's not what it means to follow the king. These men, the king and the kingdom... It consumed every aspect of their life, every aspect of their life. They wholeheartedly served the king. Why? There was, they knew their purpose. They knew the reason why they were doing what they were doing. They understood the significance of the times. They, they grasped it, man. And they desired to be one of the mighty men of David. And we desire to be one of the mighty men of God. And what makes us mighty is not us. It's outside of ourselves, but it's a man who wholeheartedly is devoted to the king. He's going to get to see and experience the mighty working power of God. God hasn't ceased to be powerful and mighty. He still is. He still is. So there's hundreds of thousands of, 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 of men who say they belong to the kingdom of God in Christ. But only those who live for King Jesus, listen to me, will ever truly find purpose and experience God's greatness working through, around, and in their lives. Why? Because that kind of greatness cannot be found in man. It is only found in the great God in whom we belong. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17, he reminds these men at Ephesus, look carefully, then how you walk, in other words, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, 
do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. These men who were the mighty men of David, they were wise. They recognized the time. And they fulfilled the will of God in relation to serving the king. Now, it seems that many Christian men are simply wearing the game day jersey. You know, if you go to any, any activity, like say you're going to go to a pro, fo- pro football game, you'll notice the stands will be full of jerseys with other men's names on their back. Let me just say this. I don't want to wear a jersey with another man's name on it. To me, that's absolutely pathetic. Now, I don't mean to, um, be, to be rude in that statement, and I certainly don't mean to belittle any man that's listening to this podcast that wears a jersey that, that says whomever their favorite football player is. I'm not trying to do that. But do you understand you've been called to a much higher calling, serving a, the, the one true living God? that supersedes anything that we have in any athletic event in this entire world? No, see, I don't want to wear a jersey with someone else's name on it who's actually in the arena doing these incredible exploits. See, I desire that I have the jersey, and on the back it has my name, and it says, The King's Man. I want to wear a jersey with my name on it. See, I don't want to live vicariously through anyone else's life. I don't want to live vicariously through these mighty men of David. Like when I read this, I love to read this stuff. And as you know me, I love hearing about special forces and these guys that did incredible feats of bravery, man. I I love that stuff, man. It's just in me. I want that. I desire to live that way. But I don't want to live vicariously through their story because my life is being written by God. If I submit to God and allow God to write my story, I get to wear a jersey with my name on it. I have no desire to sit in the stands, man, and to, and, and, and to watch other people do The work of God. I don't have any desire for that. But so many men, because of their lack of understanding of what they've been called to, what they've been saved from, and whom in which they serve, belong, and will answer to, they're content to just slap on a jersey one day a week, come to church, grab their latte, get their donut and burrito, shuffle in, sit on the seats, and just be a, a what? A spectator. That is not Christianity. That is Western churchianity, which is nothing of what it means to follow Christ. Nothing. Are you bored? Are you bored? So many Christian men, you know what? The church has been so pathetic in showing men what it means to really follow Christ. Um, if you're bored... It could be you're just wearing a jersey on game day. How about you start living for your king? In other words, his will, his plan, his desire consumes every aspect of your life. These athletes that you watch on television, game day is just when they get to work out what they've been doing all week. They are committed and they are consumed with their athletic sport seven days a week, 365 days a year. They sacrifice greatly to be the best at what they do. And Christian men, our devotion to Christ should be no less. In fact, should be much more. Our devotion to him should be 24, 7, 365, and he's an all-consuming God. He consumes every aspect of my life. How boring it is to be a part of religion. Religion stinks. It's boring, and it's got nothing to do with Christ. 
Nothing. So last week, let me, let's get to this, the, 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 the crux of this. I'm hoping this creates a hunger and a desire in you to want to just step into this because this is what God has saved you for. This is not, it saved you for his glory. But God gets glory when men of God walk with God in obedience to God and God does incredible things in their midst. God gets the glory and we get to walk in the shadow of the glory of God. It's incredible. So stop living life safely in the confines of our culture and start risking it all for the king. Why? So you can live a life of adventure and exploits of greatness because you've walked in obedience to Christ, serving the king, and watching God do what no one else is capable of doing in your life, through your life, and you get to share of the great glory and power of God with others. I'm going to tell you something. It is not boring to follow Christ. I wish I had more time on this podcast today to share with you some of the exploits that I've been able to be a part of that God has done. And man, I simply got to be there and experience it and watch God work and just simply walk in the glory of his shadow. Great and mighty things God is doing and has done. And he's not finished. He just needs some men who will be his men. So there were five key attributes, guys, that we looked at last week, just briefly before we ended the podcast, of David's mighty men. They displayed these attributes. These men were not simply living under a king of a kingdom. They were living for the king and his kingdom. See, they weren't just there to receive something from the king. They were there to offer themselves to the king because they knew the magnitude of the greatness of what it meant to serve this king, to be a part of this kingdom. It was an honor. It was a privilege. And by doing so, these men, they got to live lives <laughs> that were incredible. You say, oh, but man, it's dangerous. Hey, man, danger, doesn't that do something for you? does for me. I mean, I'll tell you how crazy I am. I'm just getting ready here in a few hours. My oldest son and I are fixing to jump in my pickup. There's two days of elk season left. I'm here in Texas. We're going to leave here in an hour and 30 minutes if I can get everything packed. We're going to jump in our truck. We're going to fly to Colorado. We're going to get there late tonight. I'm going to jump into a unit that I've never hunted. We're going to pack in at night tonight, and we're going to get in there as deep as we can tonight, throw out our sleeping bags on the ground, and we're going to be ready to start bugling before daylight tomorrow morning. Because let me tell you something. We, we're made for things like this. We're made for this stuff. And it doesn't always have to make a lot of sense. I mean, there's several things that, I mean, can we kill an elk in two days? It's going to be really tough. But I promise you one thing, I sure won't kill one if I stay right here. <laughs> I'm not going to kill an elk. You say, well, John, I also get to go spend two days with my, with my oldest son. And not only that, man, we get to pursue something here. We get challenged with something here. It's going to be tough to accomplish this. Chances are pretty slim. But we're going to give it our best shot. Now, i got to leave there. No later than Saturday nights, the last day of season. And then I've got to drive about eight hours home. And I've got to preach on Sunday morning. So we've got basically two days. Now, if we kill one, we've got to start packing this thing out. This is going to be a rough few days. But man, I'm going to have some incredible stories to share when I get back from this trip. And I want to encourage you guys to live that way. And that's how it is to follow Christ. It's amazing. So here we go, quickly. Number one. The king's mighty men loved, they loved their king. They loved their king. And we find this to be the, the truth here. In 2 Samuel 23, we read of these three now mighty men first, of um, Joshabim or Joshab, 
um, and Eleazar and Shama. We read about some of their exploits last week, showing you the greatness of God working in their life for men who take a stand and don't retreat when others do, but they fight for the glory of God to the death. They're committed wholeheartedly serving the king. Um, they're with David, and, and David is hid out at the cave of Adullam, and David is hiding from King Saul, who is pursuing his life. And so David now has these men with him. We don't know for sure which of the mighty men this, this, that these are. Um, I'm going to presume that probably could be these, these, these three mightiest, but it, not necessarily. And so David is in, this, is in this cave of Adullam. Now, I don't know what the water situation is, it was in the cave of Adullam, but I do know this, if you've been anywhere in um, Israel, in the land of Israel, one of the things you're going to notice is how, how desolate it is, how dry it is. Um, it is a very, very, very dry place. Um, and yet, we have the Jezreel Valley there. We have uh, incredible springs that God has put there that water all of that and provide water for the, for the, for the, for the nation of, of, of Israel and those who live in that land. But this area was very arid, dry, Water's hard to come by. More than likely, water could have been hauled, and it's stored in these containers in this cave so that these men can drink while they're there. And David has been drinking this, this tepid water, no telling how long it could have been since it was actually taken from whatever source it was taken from. And just, just probably just speaking now out loud, just talking out loud, his men are in the cave with him, and they hear David say this, Oh, how I would love that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. So David here, we know, was born in Bethlehem, and he was raised around the city of Bethlehem. And that's called the city of David, right? And so David is just in this hiding out, and he's drinking this water, and he's reminded while he's in this cave and the water that he's drinking how great the water was in Bethlehem. Man, you draw it out of this well. It was pure. It was clean. It was cold. And David just simply, just, just in passing, says, oh, man, I wish that someone would get me some water from the well in Bethlehem. It would be wonderful. And what do these three men do? They say, hey, did you hear the king? He wants some water. And so these mighty men come up with a plan. They're now going to go to the city of Bethlehem. David knows nothing about this. They grab their weapons, and it's important they did because they're going to have to fight the Philistines on the way because there was a garrison established in Bethlehem. And there were warriors of the Philistine army in the valley there, and this garrison was established. So in order for them to get to the well at Bethlehem, the well was important because the garrison needed water, so they're using that water to drink for the garrison that was established there. And these men now take their spears, off they go, they fight their way. Now listen to this, it's 13 miles from the cave of Adullam to Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is actually 13 miles to the north and east of the cave of Adullam. It wasn't like they were just going to walk down the, the trail here and they're going to grab a little water. No, no, no. They went 13 miles. And in this 13 miles, they come against the soldiers of the enemy of God, the Philistines, and they have to fight their way through these soldiers, three of them, through the garrison. Right there at the gate of Bethlehem is the well. And then they're going to have to stand and defend one another while one man drops down the the the, the the, the jar, whatever it was that they drew water with, pull it up, he pours it into whatever container he brought with him. He shuts the lid. The guys are defending him. He puts it in his pouch, whatever he's carrying, and now they have their spears, and they got to fight their way back out of this area so they're not killed on the way back to the king, and they fight their way valiantly um, through these men once again, and they make their way back to, to, to David some 13 miles, and they, they come to the king, and they have this flask or whatever they have, and they, they give it to the king, and they say, here, king, we went and got you some water from the well of Bethlehem. We, heard you over, we overheard you saying you'd like it. You wanted it. You, do you see this incredible love they had for David? 
In other words, there was nothing that David wanted or desired that these men did not want to accomplish for David. That's how much they loved their king. David grabs this. He looks at it. He is overwhelmed by the love these men displayed and their act of bravery in order to bring him simply something that he requested. Water. He had water to drink. He wasn't short on water, but he didn't have the water he wanted. And so David takes this and he says, listen, guys, I can't drink this. And at first you're thinking, man, what a waste. These guys went all that way, risked their life and fought these warriors in order to get David this water. And David tells them, guys, I'm not drinking it. I mean, I'd, I'd think, man, I'd be pretty upset. But they understood what David was saying. David says, I cannot drink the blood of these men. What's David saying? They risked their own life. Do you see how David honors now these men? Guys, I've told you this before, and, and you will never, ever honor the Lord God in your life that he does not honor what you've done. You walk in obedience to Christ, and you stand alone, and you hold the ground, and you pursue in battle. You don't back up. You do the king's work according to the king's will by the king's word. He will always honor you. Listen to what David does to these men. He honors these men. The greatest honor that could ever be given to these men. And David takes this water. And he says, guys, this has so much value. It's only worthy to be given to someone. Because the sacrifice that you all made is only worthy to be paid to one who is worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. And I'm not that one. David says, I'm going to offer this as a sacrifice to God. That's how big this was. See, they, David takes the water. These men were like, man, dude, what a waste. That's not what they did. These men were honored when their king, under the chosen instrument, being the chosen instrument of Almighty God, takes this water and says, God, I can't receive this because it's far too great of a sacrifice. I'm not worthy of it, but I'm going to give it to you because, God, you are the one in whom is worthy of all glory, honor, and worship. This gift, God's, God, is yours. And David pours out the water as a sacrifice to the Lord. That is incredible. Guys, when you honor God, you will walk in the glory of God, but you will also receive honor. I don't, these, these men, they didn't deserve this. They'd have been fine if David would have drank the water, man. That would have been good enough. But when David says, no, 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 this kind of sacrifice is not worthy for me to receive. Only one receives this and is worthy of this, and it's to God. And to God be the glory. It's pretty fascinating um, that this is what happened. See, these men loved their king. They loved him. Do you love your king? We're told that our lives are to be um, lives that are living sacrifices. That's what we are to be. We're to live our lives as a holy, acceptable, and pleasing sacrifice. In other words, we live our life for the king, and when we do, we offer him a sacrifice, and it's a sacrifice of honor and praise and glory bestowed to him. God gets great glory when you live your life for him. He gets all the glory when we do, and yet we still get to walk in the glory of that. David mentions this story. Why? Because these men are getting to walk in the glory of their act and deed, but they are watching that it was only worthy to be given to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. So you will never, guys, you'll never be one of God's mighty men until you love the king like David's men loved him. And I don't mean in the same manner, but I mean in the same sacrificial way. See, we have to love our king. And we love our king and we wholeheartedly have nothing before him because he is king and Lord. He is our redeemer. And then we hold nothing back. And we say, whatever, Lord, this is your will, this is your plan, this is your desire. It's yes, it's yes, it's yes, it's yes, it's yes, it's yes. And we do this because we love you and we're grateful to be yours. And our life is yours 
It's all yours, God. Number two, the king's men. They were loyal to their king. Are you loyal to Christ? Are you loyal to Christ? In 2 Samuel 26, once again, David in the wilderness, hiding from King Saul. This is at Ziklag now. David was hiding because, once again, King Saul's trying to kill him. David gets a tip um, that Saul has come to pursue him with 3,000 soldiers, chosen soldiers, coming to get David. David sends out some spies, confirms it, and David says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. He asked two men. He asked two men in 1 Samuel 26. One was Ahimelech, the Hittite, and the other was Joab. You're going to see this man's name. Joab's brother, Abashi. Abashi was, what, one of the nephews of David. And he says, who will go down to me into the camp of Saul? Now, this is, this is kind of strange. We have David being pursued by the king of Israel. He brings 3,000 chosen soldiers. And David says, hey, anybody out there willing to go with me down into the camp of King Saul? Not just go on the fringes, but let's go into the camp. And, and, and we find something about this man, Abashi. He was, a, he was a devoted, loyal man. Man, he just quickly says, hey, I'll go. Yeah, sign me up for a, for a, for a death sentence. I'll go. <laughs> He signs up, he goes. So David and Abashi went to the army by night. And then there lays Saul. He is sleeping in the, within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner, which is the, the commander of the army of, of the nation of Israel, is sleeping next to him. So get this picture. We have 3,000 men. They're all sleeping on the ground, waiting around here. They're sleeping on the ground at night. And as you move your way into the center of the encampment of these men, here lies the king, protected by his men, and next to him is the commander of the army of God. King Saul is sleeping pretty good, knowing he's got 3,000 men around him, right? And yet here David and this Abashi, this mighty man, make their way through these men and are standing right by the king the king Herod, who was trying to take David's life. And Abashi says, hey, it's pretty obvious, David. God has given the king into your hands. Would you let me kill him? And I want to kill him now, and I promise you, it's only going to take me one blow. I will drive this spear through him and pin him to the ground. And what does David say? No, we are not going to kill the king because the king is, is God's anointed man. And I'm not going to interfere and intervene in this deal. David says, I'm going to let God deal with Saul. In fact, either God's going to kill Saul or Saul's going to die in battle. One way or another, Saul's end is coming, but it won't be because of me. And so David tells his mighty man, listen, no, <laughs> we're not doing this. But I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take his spear and we're going to take his water and we're going to get out of the camp and then we're going to call to him. I'm going to let him know that I was in there. I could have taken his life. But because of my honor to God and knowing how God works, I'm not going to touch him. But I'm going to show him that we could have killed him. And so that's exactly what happens. But you're going to notice something here. God was involved in this act. Guys, listen. God, he's involved in our life. We are, in, we are filled with the Spirit of God. We are indwelt by him. This is the temple of God. We're indwelt by the spirit of God. God is at work around us, and he's, he's with us. Look what happened here. The reason that David and Abashi were able to get through 3,000 men. Listen, there, there's never a night that I'm not awake several hours off and on. Not, not total hours, but off and on through the night. I don't sleep through the night. So there's no way 3,000 men would have all been sacked out sleeping and not saw any activity coming through them on their way to the king. Couldn't happen. Not all of them at the same time. So what happened? Well, we read here. And because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon these men. This is why David was able to get in there. God, by his power, did something incredible. And yet these men, what a story. They leave the encampment. They holler out to Abner. Hey, Abner, wake up, man. This is David. Yeah, what's up? 
Hey, I want you to know something. God did something in your midst here tonight. You all are trying to kill me. I could have killed you both in one blow, but I spared your life. And I took to prove that I've been there. Saul's spear, you know, the one that was laying by his head stuck in the ground, and his water. Go ahead and look around. It's not there. I've got it. And the king calls out, David, is that you, my son? <laughs> my son, are you kidding me? And he says, listen, I could have killed you, David says to Saul. Saul says, hey, whoa, 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 okay. I'll stop pursuing you, man. I get it. I get it. Could have done it. The only way it could have happened displays that God was with David. And yet these men got to be a part of that. See, Abashi, he was found on the list of David's mighty men. One of the reasons was these men were so loyal to their king. Didn't matter. They weren't worried about the outcome because God's on their side here too. But not only that, they were so devoted to the king that, you know what, whatever the outcome was, they were willing to accept it because of their loyalty and love for their king. That's the way we need to be living for our king. Our king is perfect, not imperfect like David. Not at all. Um, so the king's men not only love their king, um, but the king's men were loyal to their king. They were loyal to their king. Let me give you another example that we're going to look at here. The third one is the king's men served first their king, right? Um, David still at this time was not been yet made king, but these men were devoted to him. They served him. The men put the desire and the needs of the king ahead of their, their own, ahead of everything else in their life. And their, the well-being and desire of David became their number one priority. In other words, when you serve the king, the king's priorities become your priority. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, David is on the run from Saul again. He's at Ziklag, that is a city that the Philistines actually controlled, and he's in occupied land. He's really basically um, an exile, if you will, and he's in enemy, enemy territory. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we, we read this. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag, while he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. So these men here that are listed, they sought David out. These men were bowmen. They, had, they were archers. They could shoot arrows and slings and stones with both hands. These men, by great discipline and effort, had developed their skills with their hand for battle. That meant that they could still fight with accuracy no matter how the enemy came toward them or whether they were wounded in battle with one arm or one hand, they could still fight. These men were skilled with their weapons and they did all this through discipline and effort, becoming proficient with their weapons. And we need to do the same because we've been given weapons to stand firm against the, the, the whales of the enemy, against the adversary. We've been given weapons. None of them, one of them is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to be men of God who can weld the sword. We can use the sword, left hand, right hand. What that simply means, we need to know the Bible. We need to know the Word of God. And it takes diligence. It takes time. It takes um, effort um, and study to know the Word of God. But we need to do that. That's one of our weapons. Um, also, the shield of faith. We need to walk in faith. Use the shield of faith. Why? Because it extinguishes the arrows of the enemy. And then prayer. We need to be men of prayer. Just like these men used what weapons they had to fight in battle, we know our battle's not against flesh and blood. We need to be proficient with these items. We need the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We need a shield of faith. And we need what? Prayer. We need to be proficient and we need to use these things, and it takes discipline, desire, and effort in order for us to become proficient in these areas. It takes work. It's not something that just happens. No man just, boom, all of a sudden is proficient at all these things. It takes effort and time. Many men never reach the, the level of what it would be to be called a mighty man of God because they're not practicing and using any of these things whatsoever. They're, they're not in the battle, man. They're not engaged. They're in battle. They just don't know they are. And they're not engaging the enemy this way. So these men were courageous and brave men. In 1 Chronicles eleven twenty through to 25, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab, their greatest fighters. Uh, this man struck them down. 
He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. <laughs> it was a cold, wintry day. There's a lion in a pit. This man jumps down, smokes the lion. Pretty crazy. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits. That's, that's a big man. Uh, the Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. This dude, was he was a big man. And what does this guy do, Benaniah? He takes simply a staff. He's such a stud. He takes a staff, goes up against this Egyptian, takes away his spear with only a staff, takes his spear, and kills him with his own spear. Dude, that, that's, that's a warrior, man. That's a warrior. And David records all this stuff for us to read. He was set as David's bodyguard. He set him over the bodyguard. That's how great this guy was. He had a name beside the mighty men. So these men were like the special forces of today, the best of the best at what they do. And let me just say this. When you read these stories about men who are in special forces, whatever, um, whatever affiliation they have with the special forces in their area, um, within the military, you're going to find that it, it takes tremendous work for these men to get there. There is a huge sifting that happens in the process of these, men's, get, these men making it to special forces, these men now being trained, and they're working with the best of the best of the best of the best. But do you know why these men are there? They're there for one reason. They're there because they desire to be there. No man ends up in special forces just cavalierly. Eh, you know, I just happened. No, you have to want to be there because there is, there is a, a, a sifting that happens and they get rid of all of those who really don't have the desire. It's not really there. They think they do in their mind, but when it comes down to it, they're not. They're, they're not physically able. They're not mentally able. The desire is not there. And so the vast majority of men simply walk over, dang the bell, and off they go. But a very small select few men they endure to the end, and they have the privilege of serving and learning and being trained with the very best that there is, and they themselves are surrounded by the mighty men, and they themselves are one of the mighty men. See, that's the kind of men that we desire to be around in Christ, these mighty men of God. There's a lot of them out there ringing the bell, man. They're walking off. Things get a little tough. Ding, ding, ding. Marriage gets a little tough. Ding, ding, ding. It's a little hard at work. Temptation comes or whatever. They're just so weak, man. They don't have any grit. Uh, they fold without any effort whatsoever. Man, that's not the kind of men we want to be. We desire. Do you desire to be one of the mighty men of God? I hope you do because you're needed because there's so few of these men in the church we got a bunch of people in the church who are nothing more than bell ringers, man. They got nothing to them spiritually. They're just there for the benefits of living under the king. They're not there to give anything whatsoever. And they think it's nothing more than putting on a jersey, game day, sipping on a latte, eating a burrito, and sucking down a donut. And they think sitting in the seat one hour a week, watching everything happen, is what it really means to be in Christ. And that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. God needs, desires, and is created for you to rise up to this level of what he has desired for you to be, and that is to be the king's man. We are to be the king's man. It should completely consume every aspect of our life, our desire, our want, our effort, our diligence, our training, all of this stuff. What do we do this for? We do it for the king. We do it for the king. We do it for our king. That's why we do this. We love our king. We, we, we are living for our king. We are loyal to our king. Just like these men were. This guy here, Benaniah, what an incredible guy. Uh, some of the great things that he did. Um, then we have the Gadites in 1 Chronicles 12. They come to David. Listen to the descriptions of these men. <laughs> they are experienced warriors. They're experienced warriors. You're never going to be a mighty man of God without having some testing and experience. It takes time to be developed. But you know what? Don't let age keep you from striving to be a mighty man of God. Why? I know men of God who are mighty men of God who are, who are 20 years younger than, than many men sitting in their churches. 
We've got all we've got churches full of older men who can't even tell you the basics of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. They can't quote you one scripture other than John 3:16. Their stories are about when they were saved 35, 40 years ago. They have no exploits to share about the greatness of God. When you hear their testimony, it's always about what God did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Well, you know, back when I was 25, I was gloriously saved. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing, but it ends right there. No, 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 no. There are men who are 25, 30 years of age who are head and shoulders above and beyond many 60 and 70-year-old men in our churches, and it shouldn't be that way. But what you're looking at is you're looking at a jersey wearer versus someone who is in the arena, and they're going through training, and they're being sent on exploits, and they're walking in faith, and they're trusting in God, and they're seeing God do mighty things, and they're being tested, and God is proving himself to them and they are growing in leaps and bounds ahead of these other men. And you know what? Living in the safety of religion is absolutely the most boring thing in the world. I wouldn't settle for that for nothing in in, in the world. I want to have the adventure of what it means to be a man who belongs to the king, who loves the king, who serves the king, who is loyal to the king, and who watches the king do what only the king can do. That's what I want to be a part of. So these men here, they were, they were mighty men. They were experienced men. They were great warriors. Does that describe a lot of men you know in the church? Let's just be honest. No, if you think about church, and I, I just let me just segue here. The church has been so feminized. One of the things that attracted me to Cowboy Church was not just the fact that I actually was in ranch management and living the culture, doing the things. I, I loved that stuff because I love, I love the ranching industry and the cattle industry. And I love all that stuff, okay? I loved it. But one of the things that attracted me to the Cowboy Church was the fact that masculinity was not only accepted, but it was, it was, it was actually... Um, it was developed. It was desired. And, and you, you could meet these, these men. They were men. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I worked with these men, but, but, but I go to church and I look at these other guys and I'm like, what in the world is this? This dude here, wh- I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fight a mushroom with this guy. I mean, he's got nothing to him. I mean, his hands, he don't have a callous one. I mean, he, he doesn't have... And then you got these preachers, and they stick on their slick little old suits, and they look good on Sunday morning. Show me a warrior, man. Men resonate with warriors. They don't resonate with this little cushy, cushy preacher, pastor mentality. Throw on your Sunday best, put on your slick suit, and look like you're somebody. No, be somebody. Be a warrior, man. I'm not saying you can't be a warrior and wear a suit. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, as we cover up and dress up this whole thing, and it's a bunch of baloney. I'd rather see a man just wearing regular clothing up there, preaching the gospel with fervency, power, and might, and, and, and being true to the word of God than some slick-dressed, wax-back hairdo guy wearing a $500 suit up there looking important. No. The reason Cowboy Church was effective is because men were, were desirous to be around other men. And see, the church, we need this, guys. If you go to your average church or just look around at the men, they're either extremely bored, they're either very, 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 very um, timid, tepid, uh, just, just kind of lukewarm. There's nothing to them, no bottom to them. Uh, you're just kind of like, really, this, this, is the, this is the great army of God? Let me tell you something. These men right here, they had faces like lions. And he's not just referring to having whiskers and looking like they have a mane. No, when you looked at these guys, you could tell they were warriors. And see, we should be able to look at men and see that warrior look in them. Guys who have really fought in battle. Guys that have been on conquest. Those guys that serve and give it all for the king. No, we don't, we don't have near enough of those in the church. And you know, for that, it's hard to reach men because men don't have a desire to be around anything that is feminized. And the church is greatly feminized because it's been catered to to women because women primarily the ones who are coming to church. So let's make it flowery. Let's make it soft. Let's make it pretty. 
And let's put up those little feminine pictures of Jesus, the old, the old pictures that everybody paints. It's not the picture that I see painted for us in Revelation. <laughs> yeah, go read Revelation chapter 1, read Revelation chapter 19. Just, just, just read about your king, man. He's a mighty warrior. Um, so, guys, if you're struggling with that, I understand it. I get it. That's why we have this podcast. Because you, mighty man of God, you need to be encouraged. You, you, need, you need also to be equipped, and you need to be inspired to keep living for the king, man. We're told that these are 1 Corinthians, really, 16, 13 men when you get down to it. They were watchful. These men stood firm. They didn't, they didn't back off when everybody else retreated. No, they stood their ground. They, they went forward in battle. They engaged the enemy. They stood firm in their faith. Act like men. This is important. Act like men. If you're part of a church that won't let you be a man, leave it. Leave it. And I don't mean a worldly man. This is not what I'm talking about here. The world doesn't have any concept of what it means to be a man of God. Now, they have aspects of masculinity, but even in that, they can't have a proper view of it because until you understand and have a view of Christ that is correct and understand all of this, you don't even understand what it is to really be a masculine man. And so, find yourself some of these men to put yourself around. Um, and if you're not one of these men, desire to be one and get, get after it, man. Get after it. They were watchful, stand firm in the faith. Paul says, act like men, be strong. There's nothing wrong about being strong, man. And I know we're strong in the Lord, but there's nothing wrong with striving to have strength physically. No. And do everything you do in love. That's a key factor here. Be a mighty man of God. That's what we're called to do. So these guys here, they, they, they had faces like lions. They, 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 they were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. Isn't that cool David uses that? He's watched gazelles out there. Man, them things are incredible. He's talking about these men. He says, let me give you a description of them. They're swift as gazelles. I mean, these guys, these guys are studs, man. That's what they are. You say, oh, John, I'm an old man. Don't give me that. You go back to the Old Testament, read the, read the story of Caleb. You say, oh, man, I'm 60 years old. I'm, my life, your life ain't over. Your life's only over if you quit. The greatest years of your life are now, right now. You don't have one more moment of life. Yesterday's not life. 12 o'clock today's not life because it's only 11.01 here. Life right now is 11.01. That's all you have. Quit using excuses and start living life to the glory of God. Just stop doing it. And tell men that. If they want to throw out an excuse, just tell them. Just tell them the truth. The least of these men was a match for a hundred and the greatest for a thousand. Listen, guys, I've been going an hour, and if you're still hanging on, I apologize. I'm just going to finish up with the two. These men risked their life for the king. I'm not going to go through it all, but they risked their life for the king. They did. And then finally, what I want you to see here, the very last one, is that these men even gave their life for the king. They gave their life for the king. Many men fell in battle serving the king. Um, we may not give our lives, so to speak, physically for Christ. Many men have throughout history. Thank God for the, the John Husses and many men like them. Wycliffs and all, there's, there's been so many of them that have been martyred for Christ. They love not their own life, even to death. That's descriptive of a man that is a king's man. There's no backup in him. Not going to happen. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appear to you, brothers, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your act of worship. Galatians 2, 20, Paul says this about himself. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I need to wrap this up because of time. Guys, do you love the king? Are you loyal to the king? Do you serve your king? Do you risk it all for the king? And will you even, if necessary, give your life for the king? You're going to have to give it as a living sacrifice anyway because we're following after the king here. The question is, will you be the king's man? If you want to experience great exploits 
and conquest and adventure. If you're sick of the boredom of Christianity and churchianity, then stop living simply under the king and start living your life wholeheartedly for the king. And whatever he asks and wherever he moves and whatever he does, you simply say yes. And you will get to walk in the glory of our great God, the shadow of his glory. Guys, thank you so much for listening, taking time. Um, I'm getting ready to hop in my truck here after I pack up and I'm going to head to Colorado. Can't wait to see you in a couple days uh, on the next podcast. Guys, stay gritty, serve the king, be a king's man. God bless you guys. See you next time. 